Hello, welcome to BioBased Radio, a podcast promoting a more sustainable future through conversations with industry, university, and environmentalists. Our host, Denny Hall, is talking about bioplastics with Dana Breed, Director for Applied Packaging Research, and Ben Jordan, Senior Director of Environmental Policy at the Coca-Cola Company. They'll talk about being the world's largest user of bioplastics, career pathways for young people, and the little green leaf on the Dasani bottle. like to welcome today Dana Breed and Ben Jordan who are with the Coca-Cola and to talk a little bit about a product that I have admired for a long time and and just always whenever I get the chance make sure that people see this little green leaf on the side of a Dasani water bottle because I'm just always amazed at how many times I, I, I show someone this Dasani water bottle and say, hey, do you know what's special about this? Did you know this was made from plants? And, and even though it's right there, that green leaf's right there for everyone to see, they routinely say, no, I didn't realize that. You know, they just think of it as art. And so today, uh, Ben and Dana are going to talk a little bit about this plant bottle uh, and how it's made. Uh, where it comes from, and why we make it. So first off, uh, Dana, maybe let's start with you. Could you uh, introduce yourself, tell a little bit about your background and your training? Uh, Sure will. Thanks. Uh, My name is Dana Breed. I'm the director for applied packaging research here at the Coca-Cola Company. So here at Coke, I lead the sustainability and packaging research function. Um, And my first part of my career was in the materials industry. My training is mainly in chemical engineering. That's where uh, my PhD and and master's and undergrad are are from. I have um, also a concentration in environmental science and engineering and a couple other things I picked up along the way. But really, my focus has been materials. And now that I'm at the Coca-Cola company, I really get to focus on um, improving our environment by using novel materials. Okay, Dana, that's impressive. Bachelor's degree, master's degree, PhD. Uh, For those of us at Ohio State University, we value these kinds of educations. Uh, What are the universities? Where are you from? Um, Well, in in reverse order, my PhD is from Santa Barbara, University of California at Santa Barbara. Um, Prior to that, I was in Sydney, where I did a master's in sugarcane technology. And that was in the chemical engineering department. And then my undergraduate degrees are from Rice University in Texas. Cool. Thank you. Okay, Ben, it's your turn. Tell us a little bit about uh, yourself, where you're from, and your role there at Coca-Cola. Hi there. My name is Ben Jordan. I'm the Senior Director of Environmental Policy at the Coca-Cola Company. I've worked for the Coca-Cola Company for a little over 22 years, most of that time in the sustainability function, either in our global organization or in our Coca-Cola North America business unit. Like Dana, I have um, undergraduate and master's and and, um, doctoral degrees. I got a bachelor's and master's in civil and environmental engineering from MIT. 
and then came to work at the Coca-Cola company right after finishing my master's. After working for about 10 years at Coca-Cola, I went uh, and pursued a PhD across the street at Georgia Tech in public policy, environmental policy specialty, and finished that back in 2012. I've had a handful of different jobs here at the Coca-Cola company over the last um, 22 years, and I'm currently on point for our sustainable packaging policy and our climate change policy globally. Awesome. Well, um, the one thing that I really like doing with these podcasts is talking about the careers and the, the opportunities for young people who, who find this kind of work interesting and valuable uh, and inspiring uh, and how they can go about uh, becoming, you know, working for someone like a Coca-Cola and doing this kind of sustainable uh, research and development and, you know, public policy support. Any thoughts in terms of from your perspective, do you have the opportunity to mentor young people in this area or, or encourage young people to look at careers in related spaces? That's a really good question, and I, I'm sure with your advertisement there, um, I'll also have the opportunity to answer a lot of LinkedIn requests. Um, but in, in general, yeah, I, I'm very passionate about mentoring. So I'm on uh, the advisory board for Cal Poly's packaging program. Um, so I have the opportunity to work with a lot of young people who are um, pursuing um, packaging programs there. Um, I've also uh, recruited for the chemical companies at a variety of universities. So I have some contacts there and I mentor some students. Um, and then I also participate in American corporate partners. And I have a, a, a mentee who is a veteran and also in the engineering field. So I think it's really important that people who are in our field and also in, in positions in industry have an opportunity to, to work with young people and help them understand what we do and what the opportunities are for them. And in my case, just to add on, on what Dana said, so each spring I teach an undergraduate course at Emory University close by here in in Atlanta, and the course is called Green Business, the building blocks of, of corporate sustainability. And so every spring, I have an opportunity to work with 18 to 20 undergraduate students who, you know, really are the next generation of leaders in, in the environmental space. That's a really fun time for me to interact with some of those young people. And in, adi in addition to that, I, so I started at Coca-Cola as an intern in between my undergraduate and master's degrees. And so I always have a soft spot for interns and young professionals here to spend a fair bit of time um, mentoring and engaging with those future leaders. Okay. For your, your base audience, just want to let you know, uh, we said goodbye today for uh, to our intern, and she's currently driving back to Ohio. So giving a shout-out to our, our friends in Ohio. All right. All right. Let's talk a little bit about the plant bottle. Uh, what can you tell me about the history of it, how it came about, and kind of where your guys are in terms of uh, the 30% made from plants? Let me just back up for a few minutes and, and talk a little bit about sort of environmental sustainability, packaging sustainability, and then we'll pivot to, to talking about how the plant bottle fits within that. You know, packaging sustainability, that's one of our core environmental issues or, or opportunities as a company. It's something we've been focused on for years and years. I mean, we go back all the way to 
the late 1960s, early 1970s, we were the first company to ever conduct an environmental life cycle assessment of our packaging. And we've tried to stay at the forefront of packaging design and, and innovation and sustainability initiatives since that time. And so, you know, Plan Bottle uh, first came about um, back around, I guess, 10 years ago or so in the spirit of our work around environmental sustainability um, and packaging. And so when we launched that plant bottle um, 10 years ago, it was very much driven not just as a sustainability innovation, um, but, but just as a big packaging innovation for the Coca-Cola company. You know, um, we work very hard to, to stay innovative and, uh, you know, produce new products and packages. And so plant bottle fit um, right into that. And, you know, Dana may be able to talk a little bit more about the, um, the technical details and, and more of the um, aspects there. Yeah, I think it's it's important to understand that the plant bottle is 100% recyclable. Chemically, it is identical to PET or polyethylene terephthalate, uh, what you currently buy uh, your beverages in. It is partially made um, from a different feedstock. And the way we're able to do that is PET is made from two building blocks, essentially. Um, we have a glycol, right, and um, we have an acid. And when you line up those glycols and acids in a row, you create polymers. And those polymers then create these networks. Um, that's what we know as plastic. So in this case, we were able to replace the glycol with a plant-based source. So um, we took sugarcane was with the beginning of plant bottle and converted that to um, ethylene glycol. And that ethylene glycol is, again, chemically identical to the ethylene glycol that you can buy from fossil fuels. And then we polymerize that with terephthalic acid to make the polyethylene terephthalate. So you have something that, when you look at it, is exactly the same as PET. When you recycle it, it behaves the same as PET. Um, but if you were to look at the carbons, the carbons are a lot younger because they come from plant sources, from that glycol. So overall, footprint of the package is lower, but we haven't changed anything about the rest of the circular economy, and we don't affect the recycling in any way. Hit me again with its, its uh, ethylene glycol and... Terephthalic acid? Yes, terephthalic acid, um, and that makes up about 70% of the typical PET. And ethylene glycol makes up about 30% of mm -hmm. PET. Um, and so we've swapped out the ethylene glycol and created a chemical route with partners to get from a plant to the ethylene glycol and then created a supply chain so that we could convert that ethylene glycol along with the terephthalic acid into um, a standard PET. And I think it's also worth noting that the Coca-Cola company is the world's largest user of bioplastics, and I'm not sure everyone is aware of that. So there's a lot of bioplastics out on the market, but by use of plant bottle, uh, the Coca-Cola company's actually taken off, for instance, a, a million vehicles off the road, the equivalent, um, through this program. It's an amazing number. Of course, Coca-Cola produces at such an amazing scale. You're the largest at virtually anything, correct? <laughs> <laughs> well, we definitely have a, a lot of smiles on campus, so we're the largest in that. There you go. Um, do you have a feel for what kind of numbers or what kind of uh, number of bottles that you've distributed so far? Since the launch of the plant bottle, 
we have put more than 50 billion PET bottles in the marketplace in over 25 countries. And is the North America or U.S. the largest? Or you've, you're, you're doing, uh, what other kinds of products are you placing in the, in the plant bottle? I mean, I mentioned Asani. You've, uh, we've talked about Smart Water. Uh, what other products are in the plant bottle? We have a variety of products that go in there, um, in the North American market and, and outside North America as well. Um, but we have, for instance, juices and, and teas as well as uh, water brands in, in several of our markets um, and even some carbonated soft drinks, I believe. That's right. You know, in some cases, we've, um, we've taken more of a front foot approach around marketing the plant bottle in some products, you know, more, more so than others. So you see it very visibly within our Dasani brand uh, in North America and, and some of our other brands around the world. But, but in fact, the plant bottle is used in, in a, a broad diversity of products. Can we talk a little bit about moving from 30% to 100%? Any efforts going on to replace the terephthalic acid or the other side the, of, this, of this PET formula? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I think there's there's two areas where we constantly are working on coming up with better solutions. One is actually on the product that's out there today, coming up with more efficient routes to get to the ethylene glycol. And you you can ask, well, if you've already done that and you've made the big marketing splash, why uh, would you would you spend that effort doing that? And and the short answer is that we want everyone in the industry to be able to access this. Uh, we think it's good for the environment, and we think that in addition to the recycling and the collection and the efforts there, um, as well as lightweighting, that all of the new material we add into the circular economy um, should be from renewable resources. This is very aligned with uh, a lot of what our stakeholders are also saying. And so we are working on scaling up solutions in more efficiently getting to the glycol. And we're hoping, again, to, to get this accepted throughout the industry broadly. The other area that you mentioned is getting that 70% piece to bio-based. And that is tricky, not because you can't do it. Um, you're at a, a large university, and if I were to challenge any of your talented chemists to come up with terephthalic acid from a bio-based source, they could probably do it in, in a matter of a, a short while. The trick to it is scaling it up in an industrial way to make sure that you can do it using um, technologies that are acceptable at large scale and that it's not so prohibitive economically that uh, it, it limits its application in the space. Um, and so those two things uh, are quite tricky. You know, you also have a lot of government regulations throughout the world that have come in and out with different incentives for a bioeconomy. So uh, you've had players come in and out as well. Um, and so we are continuously working toward introducing the terephthalic acid that paired with our technology for the ethylene glycol will make a 100% bottle. We're not there yet um, to be able to commercialize at a large scale, but we are definitely working in this area. I've seen a 100% bottle, uh, I think maybe part of a demonstration project that you've got underway, but no doubt there's lots of activity in that space. 
Yeah, and, and I think you'll probably see more. I think you, you might be um, referring to a bottle that, that we had on display in Milan. And, and we do have a, a technology that we're worked to, to scale up. But again, it's, we don't have a full-scale commercial plant. Um, I think also our competitors are working in, in this space as well. So you may see small um, market demonstrations as the technologies are, are coming up to speed there. And, and I'm really excited uh, for the day when we'll be able to introduce this at, at full scale, 100% renewable. Now, Dana or Ben, are either of you able or are you participating in the Bioplastic Feedstock Alliance that's being led by the World Wildlife Fund? So we, we are participants in BFA. In fact, we were very instrumental in, in helping set that up um, several years ago. And the basic idea of that group was to get bioplastic users together um, to agree or align around the sourcing of feedstocks for, for bioplastics. So that's a group that we have been involved with. And, and really what BFA is focused on, you know, is thinking through what does sustainable sourcing mean for different feedstocks, right? You know, so to your question on sugar... You know, it'd, it'd be less about an overall global determination of, you know, this material is or isn't okay, but it's more about if you're going to use sugar or some byproduct of, or, you know, waste of, of the sugar processing or, you know, other material, how do you go about sourcing that, right? And, and thinking about the sustainability in that overall agricultural supply chain. So, you know, where we have sustainability goals around sustainable agriculture, and key ingredients in our products and you know, where we're, we're working to sustainably source our key agricultural ingredients by 2020, we look at plant bottle feed stocks in that same way, right? To make sure that, that the right social and environmental practices are followed in those agricultural supply chains. Can you sort of comment on the life cycle analysis of plant bottle compared to uh, more traditional PET? Yeah, so, so we've done um, very deep analysis in this area, and it's hard to simplify it, I guess, in, in a short podcast because it's really highly dependent on um, everything from where you're starting, right? So um, you have two basic materials that go into the plastics, and you have to make those two basic materials. Where are you making those materials? What is the feedstock? Where are you shipping them? They then have to be turned into the plastic. Where is that happening? What is the scale? Those then have to be shipped to a market. Where is that market, right? And, and so there's almost an endless combination of those. We participate in most of the, the countries in the world where, where we distribute beverages. And so the life cycle analysis will look drastically different depending on where you are and how we got it there. Um, so unfortunately, I can't give you kind of numbers, um, but I can tell you we did um, a very thorough study of the life cycle analysis, and that was one of the reasons that we pressed forward with this project. And we also use life cycle analysis um, when we're considering new projects in this area. Yeah, when we first launched the plan bottle years ago, I mean, we, you know, a, a brand new supply chain needed to be developed, right? for sourcing bioplastics. And so you had materials being sourced in, you know, one or a couple of places in the world. 
right? And that material then being shipped all over the world, right? So, you know, to, to Dana's point, you know, as more time goes by and, you know, we talk about opening up the plant bottle, um, you know, IP for others and what have you, as more and more use of bioplastics happens around the world, you know, that supply chain will spread out, if you will, so that the story actually gets better and better as time goes by. Makes sense. Ben, could you talk a little bit about your world or about Coca-Cola's world without waste? What is that platform and, and what are the parameters for that? Sure. So World Without Waste is our new uh, global sustainable packaging strategy that we launched um, back in January of this year. James Quincy, our, our CEO and, and now chairman, launched that plan. And we've rolled it out across our global business over the course of 2018. This is a, a new plan and a strategy that really encompasses the entire life cycle of our packaging and really driving towards more circular economy for our packaging. Um, there are three core action pillars as part of that strategy. The first is design, which is all about the package itself. You know, what are the packages that we're offering in the marketplace and in countries around the world? How do we improve the sustainability of, of every package, right? And how do we think holistically across our, our packaging portfolio to make our packages more sustainable. Um, and in that design area, we have goals around recyclability of packaging, 100% um, recyclability by 2025. We're currently at about um, 87%. And then 50% recycled material in all of our packaging by 2030. Although there's a big focus around plastics and, and PET as part of this strategy, again, this, this really is a plan that encompasses um, our entire packaging portfolio um, and engages our suppliers and our R&D and technology partners um, in that from a design standpoint. Collect is the next action pillar, which is really at the core of the strategy. You know, we can make sustainable packaging, but if it ends up as waste, you know, we're not doing our jobs, right? And so our collection goal is that by 2030, for every package we put in the marketplace, we want to help bring one back. And so we have our business units and our bottlers looking market by market around the world in terms of, you know, what are the collection systems, the recycling systems in place today? How can those be improved and, and how do we um, lead towards that 100% collection target? And then the third action pillar is partner, which really is a recognition that, you know, we can be a big global corporation operating in 200 or more countries. Um, we can set big, bold goals around sustainability, but we can't achieve those alone. So when it comes to how do you achieve the design goals, how do you achieve the collection goals, is through working with partners, whether that's NGO stakeholder partners like World Wildlife Fund and the Biofeedstock Alliance, or maybe it's community groups or governments or even peers and competitors who um, we can partner up with and help drive our recycling collection systems for, for our packaging. Is there any place for biodegradable in a sustainable package at Coca-Cola? Or does everything need to be recycled? That's, that's a fantastic question. And it's actually one that I get all of the time. I, the answer is it's complicated because I'm a technology person. So I like to answer that with everything. But let, let me be a little more specific. So we have tiers, right? When you are picturing a circular economy, you want to make sure you're recycling absolutely everything, right? 
And um, you can think of your package as a frozen ball of energy. That's how I like to think of it, right? Energy went into making the material, energy goes into forming the package. And so the more that you recover, the less energy you expend doing those things. The same could be said, uh, you know, for carbon, right? If we're talking about carbon footprint. So you want to minimize creation of, of new. Um, when you do create new, you want it to be coming from renewable resources that have a, a minimal footprint that can also minimize your energy, right? Because again, the package is kind of frozen energy. So then when you look at end of life, the issue with degradability um, is, is twofold. One, you're losing that material, right? If you can't recapture it, um, you have to then remake it and put more energy and, and more carbon into making it every time. Second is that end of life doesn't solve the problem of litter. So a lot of people talk about degradability, like they can throw an apple out of their car window and it will break down. You and I know that's not the case. Um, degradability is highly dependent on the environment, right? So are you putting this in an industrial compost? Are you putting it in a home compost? I think it's going to be different if you throw something that is meant for compost into the ocean, it will not go away, right? And as it breaks down, the term degradation implies it's an uncontrolled chemical reaction. So when you have this reaction, you're slowly making something that looks like it's breaking down. So what is the effect of a smaller piece of that packaging in the environment that maybe gets smaller with time, but is still out there. Um, and so for that reason, I think only after you've considered recycling and putting in renewable content and re recapturing all of that energy, you can then talk about conversion to, to energy, right, in, in places and regions of the world where they do take plastics and either convert them back to the monomer. There's a lot of, of technologies out there right now that are trying to recycle back to a basic chemical. And then after that is capturing with energy. If you take um, a package made from plastic and you use that to power another plant, um, you can capture upwards of 90% of that energy and you no longer have that waste that you're putting in, into the environment. So only after all of those, then you can think of if there's nothing else you can do with this material, let's make sure it has the least effect on the environment. But in that breakdown, a lot of products that come off of that are, for instance, carbon dioxide, right? So do we want to have more gases entering our atmosphere? Um, and I, I think because of those things, we think there are much better ways in order to treat our packaging to make it more sustainable um, than pursuing a, a biodegradable route. Ben, do you want to offer anything else on top of that? These issues are complicated, right? You know, and there are many people working in the packaging sustainability space who want to see really simple solutions. And we made the technology choice with Plant Bottle over 10 years ago that we would go for, you know, fully recyclable bioplastic versus going towards some type of bio, quote unquote, biodegradable plastic, right? You know, 10 years later, over 10 years later, that, that's still the same technology choice. You know, it's biodegradability is, is more complicated than some people want it to be. So our, our choice continues to be you know, fully recyclable bottles, fully recyclable packaging, and you know, making sure that we, we drive that circular economy 
of, of, of that packaging. You know, to Dana's point, it doesn't do much for the waste issue, right? You know, if, if our packaging is wasted and ends up in the environment, you know, it really doesn't matter how, you know, quote unquote, sustainable that packaging is. So, you know, this new world without waste plan really goes towards reducing packaging waste in the environment. Dana, what are, you know, polyethylene theraphthalates been out there for, what, has it been 50 years yet? Um, no, not quite that long. 20 years, maybe. Are there, I mean, clearly there's quite a bit of research going on looking for other molecules that might someday take the, the place of PET. PET is an amazing material, but it, it isn't necessarily perfect yet. It's not, uh, it doesn't quite have the, the vapor barriers or the water barriers that we'd like it to have. It'd be nice if you could make the bottle a little thinner maybe and, and still have the performance. Um, any feel for, any, can you comment on things that you're looking at in terms of new areas? Yeah, and, and full disclosure, before I joined the Coca-Cola company, I, I mentioned I came from the materials industry, and uh, one of those experiences was, was leading a group that uh, developed new types of polyesters uh, for all sorts of occasions, right? So if you want to put them in your dishwasher, for example, you can, you can modify the chemistry to do that. And, and so, yes, um, having another material that can potentially improve on PET has been discussed um, in the industry for a really long time. Um, and my team continues to look at materials that could potentially be used in these um, applications. That said, we do have a commitment to making our materials recyclable. And the best stream at the moment is PET. It's the cleanest stream, um, mainly because of the chemistry. It's, it's a very clean chemistry. It's one of the cleanest plastics in the world, um, meaning there's not really any additives in there. And so you can use it over and over again. There's also new ways to recycle that material um, that are even, even more interesting. But we want to make sure the materials can be accepted in the recycle stream. We also, in addition to barrier, for beverage packaging, there's a lot of other things that you need for a material to work. Um, and those are, you know, the physical properties, right? So, so the design on your package, if you look at the, the bottom of your package, it's kind of a funny shape. And there's a reason why. That is also to account for the material properties. PET is an amazing material. It's called an, uh, an engineering polymer because it is so strong in, in a lot of those ways. So any new material that has, say, a, a great barrier property we have to make sure it has all of those other properties as well, right? Can it be accepted into the recycle stream? Does it have the strength that we need? Um, will it get bigger when you hold the package? Will it expand? Will uh, the material be acceptable to the consumer, right? Everyone is now very used to a very clear PET. When you look at some other plastics, they're not quite as clear. You can't see the product inside. And consumers don't like that a whole lot. So we want to make sure every time we're looking at new materials and that we're, we're testing them not only for the barrier, like you said, but also for those other properties, how consumers accept them, and for recyclability. And I just kind of want to give a shout out to some other technologies that we've developed through the packaging research team at Coke. And in fact, we actually have the world's lightest package on the market. 
part of our lightweighting of our uh, world without waste strategy is really using the minimal amount of material. And that's both in, in the processing of the material, making it, and the shipping of the product. You always want the lightest. So without having a material that is claimed to be a barrier polymer, for example, we've been able to introduce this amazingly lightweight package to the market in very um, stringent conditions, and we've had great success with that. So we are always looking for new technologies, but we're always developing and commercializing those technologies and and not necessarily um, advertising what they are in the mainstream or on the bottle. I need to acknowledge, and I, I want to make sure that we underscore that you're the world's largest largest user of bioplastics. And so, obviously, on something like bio-based radio, we need to make sure we underscore that we're really fortunate today to have Coca-Cola with us to talk because you're the world's largest user of bioplastics. And, um, uh, you know, it's an, everyone gets the, the chance to experience that when they look at a plant bottle. So it's, you know, it's really important to us at BioBased Radio and here at the OBIC Bioproducts Innovation Center that we, that we underscore that work that you're doing and, and applaud it and thank you for it. Well, we definitely thank you for, for your support. The advantage of coming from such a a large company is that you can take an idea, either developed internally or with partners, and you can essentially, um, you have enough contacts throughout the world with your supply base to really create some, some amazing things. So, for example, with the plant bottle, creating an entirely new supply chain for that, um, I can't think of any other companies that really could have been as effective in doing that. So I feel lucky to be at, at a place that can allow you to, to do that, particularly coming from, you know, an R&D background where uh, I think we're all used to coming up with great things in the lab and then people saying, well, but how realistic is it to commercialize it? So I'm, I'm super thankful that I'm able to be involved with this project. Then let's, uh, let's just close up and say, like to uh, thank uh, Ben Jordan and Dana Breed from the Coca-Cola Company for joining us today to talk about the Coca-Cola plant bottle and to uh, uh, help us understand a little bit about its production, its use, and its impact in, on society. So guys, thank you so very much for your time. And uh, we wish you lots of great luck and, and good fortune in the future because we know how important your work is. Thanks so much for having us on. Thank you. Thank you for listening to BioBase Radio, and thank you to our guests, Dana Breed and Ben Jordan, for being on the show today. BioBase Radio is a production of the Bioproducts Innovation Center at The Ohio State University. Produced in association with the United States Department of Agriculture, National Institute of Food and Agriculture. BioBase Radio is hosted by Denny Hall and produced and edited by Casey Needham and Brad Collins. If you'd like to help our podcast grow, Plant a seed with a friend and rate and review on Apple Podcasts.